So I, I think that's what it is. Uh, it's that spirit of exploration and uh, looking for those hidden views that uh, like you did on the rock. That's, yeah. Actually, that's a lot of fun. Going yeah. Even if you find nothing, even in it, it, I would never say that I found nothing because even on the, the viewless hikes, you find a gorgeous hidden clove or a basin or a, a little furrowed valley that few, if anybody's ever been to, maybe a hunter, yeah. maybe a sportsman, but I've, I've never seen some of these spots uh, published or uh, posted on the uh, trail reports or any trail reports from those areas. So that's what's kind of fun is that whole spirit of exploration. Yeah, I agree. Inside the line, the Catskills. This episode is brought to you by Scenic Route Guiding. If you're ready to hit the trails, make sure you take the Scenic Route. Our guides are here to help you with your goals, big or small. Check out the Scenic Route Guiding and Gear Rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the code Mountain Lion. Mountain Lion. All right. So uh, welcome, everyone, to Inside the Line of Catskills. I am Stash, your host. Tonight, I have a very special guest who is a friend of mine who I've hiked with uh, numerous amounts of times and who is an amazing human being all around. So uh, say hi, James. Hello, Stash. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I can't I can't wait to hear some stories. Yeah. Um, I got some some great news for you later on afterwards. I got a I hooked up a really good interview that brings out some good, awesome Catskill history. I can't wait. No, I look forward to that. Oh yeah. So um I'd like to thank the monthly donors, uh Katrina Weinig, Darren White, John Comiskey, Vicky F, and now John C. Um, thank you, John C. Uh thank you also, John C. I gotta get with you uh pronouncing your last name. Uh, thank you for donating the coffee. Um, James, you having anything to drink tonight, sir? Uh, just a little bit of apple juice, uh, just to, uh, clear my throat and, uh, get ready to be grilled by my good buddy Stash. <laughs> grilled. No, I, I'm just here. To, I'm, I'm here for the stories, man. I, I know who you are and I know your, your background. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's going to be a great interview, and it's going to be a very entertaining interview. <laughs> well, you know, you and I share a, a, a love of the Catskill Mountains. So, yeah, that part of it, uh, Stash, you and I see eye to eye. We definitely do, especially when bushwhacking. And that's what tonight is about with uh, James as a bushwhacking king. So, um, James, I recently saw today that you've been on a, a previous hike. Let's uh, Let's talk about previous hikes. I haven't, so <laughs> you can go on. Okay, sure. Uh, yesterday was out trying out a new pair of hiking shoes because uh, just last week going uh, over Terrace Mountain, which is uh, on the side of Wittenberg Mountain, I had a little snowshoe blowout. I uh, 
felt a, a give and a snowshoe as I was descending into a place called Cross Hollow. And as I did, I stepped right out of the shoe into deep snow, did a little face plant, <laughs> and then uh, put on the micro spikes and had to suffer through post holing that dreaded word for Catskill hikers. Uh, post holing yeah. the side of uh, the mountain, and uh, I didn't come out till after dark. So today, or yesterday rather, I tried out some new Atlas snowshoes on uh, Burnt Knob and Acre Point, and had a great time. Did a bushwhack up and a bushwhack back down off those two uh, 3,000 footers, and the uh, new Atlas shoes worked out well, and it was great to be out and actually getting some winter weather. Yeah, right. We got a, we got a, a, you know, I've heard mixed stories about the the storm that's coming. So we we'll see the next ne- next couple days if we get some even some more snow would be nice. Yeah, I got my fingers crossed that it moves inland a little bit and doesn't uh, bear out to sea. But hopefully the Catskills will get some. Yeah, look forward to it. I'm, yeah, your your bushwhacking stories are phenomenal. Seeing them online. Did you find well, thank any? Thank you. Oh, you didn't. You didn't go on the backside of that. We'll have to talk about the burnt knob when we went on the backside of burnt knob. Yeah, that that was fantastic. I had a ball over there, uh, very steep, and uh, you know that was uh, exciting walking down through those white paper birch down yep. the side uh, of Acre Point, in between that and burnt knob, looking for the plane crash that we never found. But uh, I'm willing to go back. Oh yeah. That uh, that that we did a good sweep too. We did a really good sweep of that. Me and yep. you and I were you could you could see for so long in that. It looks like that was was has been forested before. So it does, it does. But you know, I don't think there's a lot of traffic down there because it is so steep. And Stash <clears throat> is with my bushwhacks. I do enjoy going at, down into those what I call Catskill cul-de-sacs, kind of like what you and I were on. And the backside acre point, uh, they go down to private land. So there's nowhere you can come out. You can only go down and then come back up again. So that's why they don't get a lot of traffic. But those are the places I love hiking to because nobody else goes there. Yep. They're gems. And that, uh, that, that hike, uh, you know, we had that beautiful line of, of the birch trees. It was like, almost like it was planted straight down on that side. And it was insane. It was beautiful. Bunch of them. Oh. Yeah, it was. It was very Adirondack-ish. I do a comparison between the two mountain ranges. And in the northern cats in particular, there are a lot of paper birch. And they're not so prevalent in the rest of the range. So when I do get that experience of the beautiful white birch trees with the steep climbing along the escarpment, it's a phenomenal experience. It's just something I enjoy immensely. Yeah, it's very magical. That's what I got. Yeah, it is. I, sure I love, is. I love that stuff. So, um, I mean, what what stinks is I'm recording this ahead of time, so this is not going to be published for another two weeks, which stinks. So, Catskill News is not going to be relevant. So, bring your snowshoes and spike micro spikes. That's all I can say right now. Definitely your spikes, your snowshoes. Uh, people are tramp patting down the trails, and they look like good trenches. So, big thank you to everybody who's wearing snowshoes. I got to say, the past couple of years. A lot of things has changed. People have have used the snowshoes and used the micro spikes, and it's and it's a very good feeling. Yeah, it, there was a great trail developed as I was coming down 
the Wittenberg Trail going around uh, Cross Mountain, Terrace Mountain. And by the time I came back down to Woodland Valley, where you and I came out once, uh, that was a beautiful packed down trench. And uh, yeah, a lot of snowshoes being used this year. So that's good. That's definitely good. We don't want that, uh, those curse words being said, the post holes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Stash, I think uh, there are some who don't do it deliberately. I think they just don't realize how much snow there is up you know, over 2,500 feet up to the 3,500-foot summits, there's quite a bit of snow up there now after that uh, Martin Luther King Day storm. And I think I ran into a couple yesterday who didn't have uh, snowshoes, but I saw from their post holes that they had sunk in approximately three or four feet. So by the, the time they came out, they knew they had messed up. Yeah. I mean, um, it's also, you know, education as well. Um, and the cost of snowshoes, it, it makes you think, you know, they're 130 bucks and those are the good ones. You know, MSRs could go up to anywhere, $250 and, sure. you know, the cheap ones, uh, yeah, they're, they're still pretty expensive and, and sometimes they're not the greatest. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, education, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's also, you know, money it's, it's, it, it's, it's worth it. Trust me. They last so long, unless you're somebody like James, James, who likes to take uh, the vertical roots up and like an alpinist, uh, you won't, you'll need it. You'll have them forever. I, I, I do. I love taking the, the steeper routes up. I do it because uh, Stash is just, it's exciting, exciting to me to check out the cat skills by their more uh, vertical types of climbs rather than the usual trailed routes, <clears throat> which I suppose you and I will talk about when uh, we discuss bushwhacking, bushwhacking more. But uh, you and I have done a couple of rather exotic, nearly vertical uh, climbs. Oh, yeah. And the, the one that was my favorite was uh, going up through uh, Platykill Clove from the bottom up, from West Sargates up to Platt Clove. And there was an exotic beauty in that uh, basin, that, that trench, that deep gorge of Platykill Creek. And there was some of the most exotic beauty I had seen anywhere, let alone in the Catskills. Uh, brilliant red and green waterfalls and pools of water. I remember yeah. writing a, a post calling it bewitching pools because they looked, or I felt bewitched when we were in the vicinity of those uh, water cascades, the, the waterfalls and those pools of green water. It was gorgeous. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like no other. I'll, I'll admit that uh, I haven't seen anything like that on the East Coast. <laughs> oh, no, all right. Excellent. You know, it's, Dash, you remember that uh, unearthly screech we heard when we were down in the gorge? It turned out to be a scavenger bird feeding on a, an animal that had fallen to its death off the waterfalls. And it was screech. You remember hearing that? Oh, yeah. How that cool was that? That was definitely something else. We, th- I, What did I think it was? I thought it was like a... Was it a fox? I was. I thought it was a big fox. Yeah, we both thought it was uh, a four-legged uh, 
either a cat or a, a fox that was up in there, but it turned out to be a, a vulture or a crow that was feeding on uh, some carrion, a, a carcass. Yeah. It was just totally weird. And combined with that exotic beauty made for put goosebumps on my, uh, on my uh, skin. Definitely. It's one of my favorite places. Yeah. Yeah. And so thanks for you shared that with me. That's first. We'll, we'll see. I got some other, I got some other places. Trust me. I got to go over with you. Uh, some new information Perfect. I got, uh, we'll go over with that afterwards. So, okay, great. Um, so, uh, let's jump into DeLorean and go back, uh, in some Catskill Mountain history. I got some history for you. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. Those, so this is about immigration to the Catskills. It's a very short thing. I got it from a, a book called the Catskills. I got to remember the guy's name. Very good book with a lot of history explains a lot of stuff that I've never known and a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to know. So it's about immigration to the Catskills of all immigrants who came to the Catskills between the end of the revolution and the 1820s, the most numerous and influential by far were the new Englanders, according to George Washington, these inhabitants of new England were continuously spreading themselves. In fact, during this period, more than 800,000 people from new England, one seventh of the entire population of the United States at the time entered New York state and settled upon these upstate counties. And although many of these pioneers came from Vermont, Massachusetts, the vast majority crossed the Hudson River and entered the Catskills from Connecticut. This Connecticut hide, as it was known, was the primary source of what is called a Yankee invasion. Due to the rapidly increasing population, overdevelopment, and the decrease of available fertile land, as well as extensive promotion activities in large landowners, Yankees from the Connecticut area were prompted in great numbers to migrate to these western counties of nearby New York. There, these transplanted New Englanders found, according to Dixon Ryan Fox, the first paradise of speculation, in which land was bought and sold for private profit, rather than held in common by the community and distributed in the interest of the public good. Place in the names of Catskills, such as Wyndham, Stanford, Durham, and many others, all named after either townships or counties in Connecticut, as well as the distinctive New England style of clapboard architecture, offer concrete evidence of this fact. The Wyndham Valley, too, was settled by Connecticut Yankees. Among them, the first to settle were the Hitchcocks, who came from the Cheshire, Connecticut. And in the Southern Catskills, Samuel Morin came from Connecticut and settled along the dry book, tributary to the East Branch of the Delaware River before 1800. I have a tough time with that, but just a little snippet I got from. That's interesting, Stash. Yeah, there's, there's a whole big piece about it, uh, and I didn't want to take it all out, but it's mm -hmm. really neat stuff. They started to later on and after that, they started explaining the different names that took over the different areas of the Catskills. I'll bet you some of those names are recorded in the creeks, valleys, maybe even some of the hills. Yeah. And I guarantee those names are still around. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I've noticed there are many uh, families that, you know, in the Catskills, you see all these cemeteries scattered throughout the, the valleys and the cloves in between mountains. And some of the family names that I see on those stones are also on the mailboxes nearby. So, yeah, <laughs> those folks are still there. Yeah. And you've been to a lot of those cemeteries. Those are amazing things. It, 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 that's what makes the Catskills so interesting to me is the history 
interwoven into the, the hiking that we do. So you get beauty and a history lesson all in one. Exactly. And there's nowhere you can't hit history in the Catskills either. No, not really. And exactly. with all those rock walls around, you can't. Right, right. It's some good stuff. So let's uh, move on to our, our guest of the night, who is James Hobson, uh, a bushwhacking king. This guy <laughs> is seriously a bushwhacking like phenom. I don't even know what to call it. It's He is just constantly bushwhacking he's constantly helping me with bushwhacks you know we we help each other out we look for things he is a, a the what do they call you the ledge finder yeah alan via gave me a nickname called the ledge hound <laughs> and my wife kind of picked up on it too so uh, that's uh, my unofficial uh, trail name i guess but uh yeah i'm more off trail so yeah ledge hound but, you know, you call me a bushwhack king. I'm definitely not that. I follow on the backs or stand on the shoulders of uh, many who have done it before me and who are doing it now. So thank you, Stash. But, uh, you know, Spencer uh, Morrissey, Ooh, yeah. uh, Eric Schlimmer, uh, Alan V. Uh, I, I hiked with Ralph uh, Rindak and oh, Jim yeah. those guys, those, those are the ones. They're, they're the kings who... Uh, uh, explored and looked around in the Catskills and Adirondacks. So yeah, I just uh, stand on their shoulders, brother. Yeah. You're having fun. And uh, let's not yeah. forget Jim Bowden as well. Yep. Jimbo. Uh, I piked with him too. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he's one, he's up there in the, in the stratosphere of the Catskills. Yeah. Um, so James, just uh, kind of introduce yourself, you know, uh, just general information introduction about yourself. Sure. Stash, I've uh, lived for most of my 64 years in Dowdsville, New York, which is in the Mohawk Valley, roughly uh, midway between the Catskills and Adirondacks, which is why I like hiking in both areas. Uh, most of 64 years have been spent in Dowdsville. When I didn't live here, I lived for a time in uh, the towns where I went to school, Poughkeepsie for Dutchess Community College and Oswego, uh, home of Oswego State. So I lived in those two communities. I'm married, father of five children and now five grandchildren. I worked for about 10 years in radio broadcasting, news director and program director for a couple of radio stations. And then the last 29 years before retirement, I worked for New York State Department of Corrections, fighting crime within the, <laughs> the jails of New York State. Right. <laughs> I started hiking back in 1974. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school and I went with a family member. My brother-in-law took me to Mount Marcy in New York and Mount Washington in New Hampshire. And I fell in love with the sport and haven't really looked back since. Over the past few years, I've hiked more in the last 20 years than I did when the kids were home, before the kids moved out of the house. I uh, Some of the uh, accomplishments, I guess you could call them, would be the 58 3,000-footers in Hamilton County. <laughs> those, were, those were tough uh, hikes, nearly all of them bushwhacks. Some, uh, I remember West Canada Mountain was... Uh, an 18-mile round trip. Oh. The Adirondack 100 highest peaks. 
the Catskill 100 highest, which I've done in winter, and then the Catskill 200 highest. And I think that and not because they're difficult, Stash, because they weren't, but the difficulty was getting permission to do them since uh, seven eighths of them are privately owned. So that was the toughest part of that particular list. Uh, I'm working on my winter 46 now. I uh, am at, at this point, 38, so I have eight more to go. And didn't you, uh, didn't you just do Seymour? I uh, just did uh, Seward. Seward. I still need Seymour. We did uh, Seward with a group and uh, then Saddleback the following week. So I'd like to get back to that uh, within the next week or so. Wow. And uh, the Vermont 100 highest. I need 13. They're actually 110 because of ties and equal uh, elevations. And I need 13 more of those. And again, those are private, privately owned peaks in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. And uh, the pandemic kind of put a dent in me uh, traveling uh, to Vermont and asking permission of people to climb their mountain. I don't really feel comfortable during the uh, pandemic, at least when it was in full uh, bloom, to knock on doors and ask people for the <laughs> authorization to climb their, their mountain. So I'm hoping to get back to that this coming summer. But uh, other than that, uh, I've hiked with a lot of the greats, Eric Schlemmer, Alan, Jim, uh, Ralph, Spencer, and they have spurred me on to explore further. And I think uh, what brought me into hiking was uh, reading the Discover the Adirondack series written by Barbara McMartin. She's the one who actually pulled me into bushwhacking because she wrote of so many mountains that are very near to where I live that have no trails that once I started hiking to them with just a compass, in a map, I fell in love with that stash. It uh, actually uh, was more enjoyable to me than uh, the hiking on the trails that I've done. Agreed. Um, you're also you're also a 3500er, correct? Oh yeah, yep. The 3500 peaks. 46er. Uh, and, and of course, the winter round, which was fun. I, I fell in love with the Catskills. Uh, we were going to go up to the Adirondacks yet again on a weekend, and uh, the forecast was for rain. So I told a, a hiking buddy, Jim Spinner, Jim, why don't we go down? We've talked about it before. Let's go down and check out a couple of Catskills. And I did. I, we did uh, Black Dome, Thomas Cole, and uh, Blackhead, and I fell in love with it. And I've never looked back. I got a taste of it all those years ago. And, uh, you know, the, the cats have their own certain charm beyond the Adirondacks that I really fell in love with. They do. They definitely do. I'm, I agree with you 100%. So excellent. Thanks, Jim. I uh, really appreciate it. And your accomplishments are, are sky high. It's crazy. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's talk about some of the hikes we've been on together. We've been on some crazy hikes. Yeah, so, we have. So uh, I think, well, the first hike we went on together was, was that the Cornell slide one? Yep. The uh, infamous 
Cordell slide, the uh, some people call it the Dink slide, but I, I think the slide is actually on the side of Cornell. So I would argue for the more classical name rather than calling it the Dink to call yeah. it the Cornell slide. It has a little bit better sound to it. And that was amazing. We yeah. uh, climbed up the uh, along the banks of Wittenberg Creek or one of the branches of it and eventually wound our way around a couple of very steep ridges to get into a more uh, sustainable climbing area, which was just below the slide. And that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, getting so up to that exposed area where the, I call it the widow Widowmaker Rock had broken off from a higher ledge. I, I would imagine that happened during some rain event in the Catskills and the way it wiped out the trees and brush underneath it. How cool was that? Oh God, that, that thing was the size of a small house. It was, uh, yeah, it was. we, we, we went up from the Creek and we hit some, some nice waterfalls and up from there was just pothole after pothole, big rocks. It was horrible. It was, crazy and then we we are like i i remember like yelling to, to you guys i'm like i found it i found it i remember and, and uh we got up there and we're just like the rock was seriously nothing compared to us we were all like wow and this sure was- that, that's i remember when you crossed over that ridge i had tried that hike uh, a few months beforehand and I got up to that ridge and I could not get over it. Uh, the drop, there were 20 foot drops and either I would have to drop back down. It was later in the day or I had to abort that hike. So when you talked about going again, I was all ears and you had a better route where we went below and around that very steep ridge. Yep. And got actually into the the debris field of where the slide was, and man, was that ever cool! That was magical. It was uh, it was really cool because two hundred feet of total wiped out everything. That thing fell and did not stop for two hundred feet. Yeah, and, and you uh, know what? What is amazing, Sash, is the rock is flat, so for the force that it broke off with, and to slide that amount shows the steepness of that terrain yeah and i'll uh, challenge any adirondack uh, aficionado about some of the steepness and on the catskill escarpment is mind-blowing oh yeah <laughs> to say the least oh yeah so i mean that was phenomenal we had to go up further and we hit some really steep areas and we kind of had the side shuffle around uh, yeah to get around there and then we went into the dink and fell down uh into the the cirque and then we hit that huge rock remember that rock that was like the size great big pancake rock it was uh gigantic could have had uh, a whole meeting of uh one of our hiking groups sitting on that rock together and having lunch yeah it was it was at least i would say 50 60 feet long yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. Those, those erratics, well, actually, that's a cabbed rock, I think, from up above on the dink. Those are all over the place in the Catskills. And it's what is the amazing part is that 
can you imagine being there the day that they broke off from their parent ledge and went careening down the sides of those Catskill slopes? I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. We're talking Cornell. Um, so remember when we went up Cornell, that ridge with uh, oh, Sean? Yes. Yes, so, that was a great hike. Uh, yeah. I remember getting to a couple of walls <clears throat> on that ridge. I call it the buzz ridge because it gives you a buzz oh, from yeah. climbing it. And it looks like it was buzzed off by Mother Nature, uh, the glaciers or however it got chopped into that steep, steep uh, slope. I remember reaching one of the base of the wall before we got up there to that gorgeous view and thinking, how are we going to get up this thing? Yeah, uh, you kind of snaked your way up, uh, looked like a little bit of a shoot, yep. as I recall. And then we went up on all fours with uh, getting some hand and leg holds and basically pulled ourselves up to the relatively flat area where the conifers were and were rewarded with a great view down oh, yeah. to the down to if you recall i got a picture of you looking down on the old friday slide from that uh, buzz ridge and cornell which is really cool yeah yeah i remember the i think i met with you and sean and our objective was to look for a a ridge on the wittenberg side but uh after i think we hit some too steep areas and and we were just like okay so this is not going to be uh possible so let's just keep going straight up and we must have hit at least five walls you know 30 yeah. 40 feet and it was like you said it was a it was a buzz it was just like all right we're getting into this yeah it's one where you really have to be careful of where your hand and feet go because if you miss it's not going to be a good hair day for you you're gonna probably suffer a couple of injuries on the way down so yeah that definitely was uh challenging but you know the reward is getting up beyond those ridges i don't tell my wife about some of the things that right. we do because she'd never let me go again so uh yeah the the buzz was having done it getting up to the flat areas and looking back down and saying oh wow we just came up that yeah exactly and that view was absolutely fantastic yeah well um, the wittenberg is second to none i i think that's most everybody's favorite view in the cat skills but i i gotta ask you something the rock rusin's roost and oh, slide mountain oh oh yes 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 uh yeah 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 well i, I haven't to... been i haven't been there yet brother and uh, i i think i know where it is and I plan on going there, and I'm not going to divulge where it is, but uh, that it's quite an accomplishment for you. Oh yeah, so um, the, the rock. Yeah, so uh, James, I mean, I was I was into bushwhacking a little bit before James, but James introduced me to this extreme, good, fun bushwhacking, the safe bushwhacking. You know, um, you know, I have done like the thoughts of of James. You know, I'm my. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll talk, we'll talk about it. We'll get, we'll, we'll have one more talk about, about one of our, our adventures, but, uh, okay. you know, 
James has got me into some awesome bushwhacking skills and some thoughts, you know, it's, it's amazing what you could learn from someone while you're just watching them work their magic. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I call it. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's, it's not, ma- it's not magic. It's just repetition of doing the same types of climbing, not the same climbs, but the same type of climbing that after a while you do get a little bit of talent in doing it because you've done it so many times. It's, it's definitely not something you're born with. It's an acquired, an acquired uh, skill. Absolutely. So, so basically, basically what he's saying, if you're a rookie at this, do not just go bushwhacking off in the middle of nowhere. If you do no, not I, have I, the skills. I, I rec- yes. I recommend start small, start in something you are familiar with, start on a mountain you've already done, but bushwhack it and make sure you have a, an escape route, a way to get down. If you do get into a situation where you don't really know where you are, make it easy for you to basically exit the mountain you're, you're climbing because uh, yeah, you heard of people who've gone, who've gone a half mile off of say route 10 in the Southern Adirondacks and gotten completely lost. Yep. It's, it's wilderness. And unless you have a compass and a map or at least a compass, you're not going to know how to get out. It's tough. Correct. And there's a lot of uh, different aspects uh, also to get you lost. You know, there might be woods roads, eight sure. or nine different woods roads. And you're like, oh, I remember this. And then all of a sudden there's a fork and three different roads. And you're like, uh, yeah, it happens yeah. everywhere. Yep. Many look at, times, many look at, times. Look at Friday. There was, once, there was one stash on a mountain called Brown Pond in the Adirondacks. Uh, one of the hundred highest. And I hadn't really honed my uh, my compass skills correctly. And I didn't have the GPS yet. And I had failed to figure in declination, subtracting the 13 degrees from what reads as north and true north. So I came down Brown Pond and I followed a beautiful woods road. And I kept following it and following it. It was wonderful. It was so much easier than going up. But it also took me five miles from where I wanted to be. Ouch. I didn't end up coming out of that hike until after 10 o'clock at night in full dark, bushwhacking. So, yeah, learning the skill of reading a map and knowing how to operate a, a compass is definitely integral in uh bushwhacking oh yeah definitely uh go with a, a group of friends learn from a 3500 club learn from a experienced person and you know sure. you can acquire those good skills and it'll it'll be fun yeah absolutely it's great once you once you kind of know what you're doing yeah so what uh what what exactly got you into the bushwhacking exclusively james well it's, it's not so much exclusively I still do trail hikes usually with uh, you know my the, the kids or with my wife but when I want to get out there it's it's a bushwhack and I guess stash it's because I feel like a little bit like Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone 
or maybe even James T. Kirk, when I'm wandering out there going where no man or woman has ever gone before, I'm not saying that somebody hasn't stepped in the place I've stepped before, but it's hardly likely in some of these deep Catskill cirques and drainages that anybody's ever stepped in certain spots. So I do feel like a little bit of an explorer when I do that. And I love it. Yeah. Going to places where that are really off the beaten path. Yeah. It's like you're, you're the first man on the moon or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are some when I'm walking through prickers that have wrapped themselves around me like uh, a jacket that probably nobody has walked there before. Because nobody wants to go there. Before. Nobody would want to walk there before. I know how you are with nettles. Yeah, don't oh, like them. Oh, I hate them, but you know what? It leads to really cool places. It does. It does. Sometimes you have to remember uh, and Little Rocky, one of the yeah. Catskill 100 highest, ran into a virtual sea of nettles. There was no way out of it. And I had to walk right up the middle through the things and after a while your your skin becomes immune to it yep. and su- supposedly it's good for arthritis too oh i'll have to check that out yep good for arthritis good for allergies they may be wives tales but uh hey makes you feel good when you're walking through them <laughs> yeah i remember uh speaking of sea of nettles i remember when i bushwhacked uh up the southern side of double top and uh into that cirque going in between double top and uh big Indian, I believe it's just, yes, it's just a sea of massive nettles because all it is, is an outpour Nasty. of water. Nasty in there. Yes. I've been up that Ridge <clears throat> between uh big Indian and double top. In fact, that was sort of a preferred route for a while. Remember in one of the trail guide books, it talked about walking along the state property line, which lies somewhere in there and that it had kind of become a herd path. Now, when I followed it, there was no herd path. Yeah. That route. Yeah. It, I remember going through the nettles and we did it in black fly season. It was really a rotten hike. My yeah. buddy and I did it and he had about a hundred black fly bites. And by the time we got up to the summit, we just wanted to turn around and go home. That's that long walk back. It sure was. <laughs> you know what? You I don't want to jump ahead on your questions because he did uh, uh, telescope some of these uh, questions to me ahead of time, which allowed me to prepare. But you asked about my favorite bushwhack was also to double top in Graham. And I think it's because it's in hindsight now that those peaks are off limits. Yeah. That I, I went on a perfect autumn day. I did some research and uh, some people had told me about the, the rock overlook that's on double top. And I found that, and I could see Graham off in the distance over this beautiful sea of gold and red in the deep saddle between the two mountains and made my way down into the saddle then up the steep side of Graham and found the two gorgeous ledges on Graham that a lot of people don't, don't visit. And Knowing now what I know then, that that mountain would soon be taken offline, that has come to be like the bushwhack, the favorite bushwhack that I've ever done. And that includes Vermont, New Hampshire, 
in the Adirondacks that day and uh that was a perfect hike yeah that uh that area between um Graham and Double Top is very very unique one of the only places you can touch both sides and standing kind of like up in the air yeah yeah it's a very high saddle and uh yeah you they're so close together that you're not much time off the mountain in that deep clove or saddle before you're climbing again and uh my gosh what a great day just the, the autumn colors it was a bluebird day no bugs it was cool perfect just you know so i had one of my worst hiking experiences and double top and one of my best there you go that's yeah that's awesome um it, it is once again it's unfortunate but uh i somewhat do understand of a when they were taken off, you know, I understand it. And I, I am an optimist here, Stash. I truly hope that uh, there can be an agreement between the state, the 3500 club and the Gould family to make allowances for hikers to go back. I think it's going to, we're going to have to sweeten the pot a little bit maybe have a summit stewardship program like they do in the Adirondacks, maybe take down the old uh, cinder block building for them and yeah. uh, dismantle it for them. It would show some good faith on our part. And I would be glad to volunteer to take part in either of those uh, projects if that's what it comes to. I know there's a lot of negotiating that has to go on, but uh, they're, Two peaks over 3,800 feet. I can hardly wait for them to be online again. Yeah. I uh, I enjoy Graham very thoroughly because of its weather. It's got some of the most extreme weather. I go up there. Uh, I went up there in winter one time. And, you know, going down the base of that, it was fine. You move up a little bit further. But once you hit the steep stuff, the wind is howling. Yeah. You know, the rhyme is up there. The ice is up there. My friend and I, my friend, John, uh, mm-hmm. we went up there and we must've spent at least 10 seconds, maybe up there. And we're like, we can't, this is too much <laughs> back down. Sure. Yeah. A summit experience can really be painful when it's that cold and that windy. Yeah. The first time we did our Graham winter round, we were crawling on our on all fours. The snow was so deep to go under the trees. Oh yeah, because the snow was all, all almost all the way up to the top of the trees. And even with snowshoes, we were post holing, you know, sinking in uh, three, four, and five feet. The Western Catskills get a, used to get at least, and probably will in the future, some heavy snow. Yeah. They're very exposed. A very memorable hike. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, James, you have, you, to me, you have like no fear. You, you go into yeah. the unknown without, I mean, you, you obviously do your research, but you have like no fear. How do you like, how do you make it that way? How much research do you do? Uh, well, a lot of research, but you say no fear stash. I got plenty of fear enough to to share with anybody who might be listening. But, you know, as with any fear, the more we do something that seems 
you know, too dangerous for us or right on the edge, we're right on that cutting edge of uh, being too scary to actually do. Once you do do it or find a way to do it, it decreases the amount of fear for the next time that you attempt something like that and really makes you more confident to try something even more difficult in the future. So if you just, if you take baby steps rather than try to go out and conquer Everest your first time, but maybe take some small steps that those fears gradually go away. I, uh, something that did happen to me two winters ago on Gothics, I, I hadn't put my, uh, my, my uh, full crampons on, up in an extremely steep and slushy part of the trail, the Beaver Meadow Trail up Gothics Mountain in the Adirondacks. I left my snowshoes on and the snowshoes gave way in the slushy snow and I took a 15 foot slide. I, I, thought I, was gonna, I thought I was gonna die down the side of Gothics Mountain. What caught was my backpack and one of the spruce trees, the straps in my backpack caught on a spruce tree, saved my life. It broke the back strap, but it held me enough that I could grab the spruce branches and pull myself back up and put on my damn crampons to properly descend. I didn't summit that day. I was too shaky yeah. and too shook up. I didn't have to change my underwear, but I did descend the mountain. And uh, the next time I went up with a buddy, we, uh, we got the mountain. But uh, it, that is a fear that was very real for a long time. I was uh, very nervous about going up on those uh, slides in icy conditions. And I, I felt the same way on Balsam Cat up uh, near where the escarpment uh, reaches the, the final. I'd say maybe 50 feet at the mountain. That is steep up there. Yeah. And I've had a difficult time finding a way to get around the rock wall at uh, Balsam Cap's big final wall. And I ended up having to go all the way over to what I call the mini cap, the 34, 45 foot summit to get up on the ridge to go back to Balsam Cap. So yeah, I, those fears are just as likely to arise in the Catskills as anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. So one of the times I'll, I'll, I'll use an example, you know, I, I, I seriously, I try to have no fear, but you know, it, it pops up once in a while. Uh, one of the times I sat there and I was just like, I'm going to bushwhack Sugarloaf. I probably remember, I don't know if you remember telling me about or telling you about this. Um, uh, at the fork, I went straight up. I was just like, I'm going to go straight up, hit some slides. Mm -hmm. I, hit, I hit an old quarry and I climbed yep. up this chute and I sit there, climbed up this chute about 15 feet. And I look back or I look up and I'm just like, all right. So now I'm in this little hole. I can't get up anywhere. And I look down, I climbed almost like a vertical chute. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's 15 feet of sliding. I'm going to have to do. How am I going to stop? Exactly. And the sliding part's easy. The stopping yeah. part is hard. Exactly. So I, I was just like, after that, you know, I slid down and luckily, like I got my feet behind a rock and I stopped, but I was just like, that's it for today. I'm done. 
Like, Gosh, I, I remember you talked to me about going up that way before you did it. And I told you that I had gone up and those that open rock and that side, you can see it from uh, hurricane ledge over on high peak. Yep. And uh, I remembered seeing it from that side and I said, Oh, I'm going to go do that. So I was in the same predicament as you. I was trying to crawl out to the top of that sheer cliff that you said you came up. And I had to crawl on my belly to go out and get a picture of Twin Mountain, which is right next door. And I thought, why am I doing this? You can get a great shot of Twin from the trail. And here <laughs> yeah. I was on that, on that crazy ledge above uh, Dibble's Quarry. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a tough route. Yeah. It's amazing you did it. Well, I, I did some of it, and then I, I, I quit that day, and that was the first time I have ever – Seriously, in, in my life of hiking, my last six years, I have ever quit. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do it today. It doesn't feel good. You know, just right. and, and you get those feelings. Just to let you know, you people, the listeners, if you have that feeling of your gut telling you this doesn't feel right, back out and yeah. the hike. Yeah. No, yeah. you did. God gave us fear for a reason that uh, we're, we're doing something we probably shouldn't be doing. And you should really tread lightly or take, like I said, baby steps before you do something like that. It's uh, bushwhacking is it's great to explore. But when you start hearing that inner voice saying it's time to turn around, you probably should. You can come back another day and try it again. Yep. Mountains will always be there. Sure thing. Maybe not in like uh, like. 2000 years, but we'll see. <laughs> we won't be here that, that long. There's no sin in turning around and coming back another time and doing it again. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I, I mean, I, I kind of know the answer to this, uh, because, you know, I've hiked with you several times. Um, how do you, why do you find so much pleasure in your bushwhacks or how do you find so much pleasure? I think it's that, that spirit, as I said before, kind of like Davy Crockett, the spirit of exploration, you know, the, the Catskills are a work in progress and they've been hiked and hiked and hiked over and over again, including the Bushwhack Peaks. That's why I kind of like going a different route because I feel like it's, there's a sense, a spirit of exploration there that you don't find on, on the trailed routes or the established herd path routes that you might be coming across a spot where nobody has walked or a fresh blowdown since the Catskills are always a work in progress. There are new blowdowns, there are rainstorms that wash out uh, different slides and uh, wash away the brush to allow for some nice views. So I, I think that's what it is. Uh, it's that spirit of exploration and uh, looking for those hidden views that, uh, like you did on the rock, that's yeah. actually that's a lot of fun. Going yeah. even if you find nothing, even in it, it, I would never say that I found nothing because even on the the viewless hikes, you find a gorgeous hidden clove or a basin or a, a little furrowed valley that. Few, if anybody's ever been to, 
maybe a hunter, yeah. maybe a sportsman, but I've never seen some of these spots uh, published or uh, posted on the uh, trail reports or any trail reports from those areas. So that's what's kind of fun is that whole spirit of exploration. Yeah, I agree. You know, just uh, going into the places of the unknown and, you know, like thinking like, like you said, when we went up to the the slide, like how many people have been up here? You know, I, well, I knew we weren't the first ones, but I knew no, we, we were weren't the of, first. We were few. But probably, yeah, yeah, not many have been up there. Ron, you can tell. Because there's no signs of uh, herd paths that have developed. That was all raw. It was brush and steep and rock and trees and blow down right up to the time we got to the slide. Yep. And it was and it was fantastic. The accomplishment. Just be like, yeah, we yeah. found it. We had a great time. So yeah, that was. And that's uh, what it's all about. Is just that rush you get it's uh, a real kind of a mountain intoxication almost yeah so um when, when you play in your bushwhacks are you like a, a topo kind of guy or a map and compass do you look at a map or is it both you know i'm kind of a a look on google's maps thing look at the train see what i'm going to battle and then go after it what do what you what do you what is your ph- philosophy yeah, no that's very similar uh, stash i think we all do use that same uh, type of planning procedure, maps, online mapping, satellite images. I use also tax maps to see what's private, oh, yeah. what's what's uh, open to the public. And I do, I do the research into trip reports from uh, others, uh, uh, the High Peaks Forum. Uh, but mostly, if you say, how do I plan? It's maps, 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 maps. Check out, look for those stacked the dark lines on the mountains because in the Catskills in particular, it's where the ledges are going to be, and yep. that's where the views are going to be, and that's where the challenge is going to be. Then I set up my waypoints and try to draw it out on either a, I print out a map or write on you know the Nat Geo maps or the uh, New Jersey New York uh, trail maps. Actually, write right on the maps what my uh, my route's going to be, and then try to either now I use the GPS, but back in the day I'd follow a, a compass bearing and yep. uh, head right up the side of those things. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very good to learn, like you said, the the topo, the lines, the stacked lines. You know, um, if you look at a lot of the Catskills, you can see a lot of those ridges that everybody takes up for the the herd paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl's a great example go right up that one ridge um and very few people take a compass bearing and uh they go up it you know i the other couple weeks ago when i went found that the magic place we're not going to talk about that now Mm -hmm. um i took a compass bearing to it and you know what i read the map and i was just like this is it this amount of feet i'm going to take a compass bearing to them but i'm going to follow this ridge and then i'm going to go over to the compass bearing and by golly it worked yeah, it does. It is a skill that everybody should have because a GPS or somebody's telephone uh, connection to the internet and mapping may fail at any time. And if you don't have a backup, 
you could be in trouble. So it's even if you're just using a GPS or your phone, occasionally use the compass setting on the phone or the GPS to find out what direction you are going up in so that you have to, if you have to exit, you can at least use the compass if uh, your electronic device fails and find your way back out again. Yeah. Because some of those routes, like the, the route, the magic spot you were talking about, they are, it's steep and you don't want to make a mistake up there and head down the wrong way. Yeah. And it's remote. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, you could be You're two miles in. Yeah. You could be two miles into the hike. You keep going straight. You got another six miles to go to get to a road or you yeah. know, a stream. Yes, it is. The, the, the good thing about the Catskills is there's always an exit somewhere, a, a road or a, a camp. But even in some of those remote areas like Rocky and uh, oh, yeah. I was thinking at the south side of uh, Lone, Lone, Lone Mountain and uh, oh, yeah. Picamus down toward uh, County 42, I think that is also County 42. There's nothing down there. It's uh, just a big area of Catskill wilderness, very comparable to the Adirondacks. Yep. Just like, uh, you know, he said that and, you know, the eastern side of Slide and Cornell, Friday Mountain, you come off of that Friday Mountain, you go to the top and you go down, down west, you're going to hit some of the biggest, crappiest ledges in yeah. the Catskills and it's rugged stuff that you do not want to mess with. <laughs> so, and those are all hidden in uh, that thick spruce on that side. I know you've done a lot of hikes out of the never sink Valley up into that backside of Friday and balsam cap. And I've been in, in there too. And that is thick. Yep. Nasty stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> takes you a while. That's, you know, the, the combination of, and this is what I want to caution people about uh, bushwhacking. It's a lot longer. Oh, yeah. It takes a lot longer to uh, go over a couple of miles bushwhacking and even longer if you're using a, a compass and map. Plan on spending a lot of time if you are bushwhacking. Don't don't try to nail several peaks or peak bag that particular day. If you're going for a new bushwhack route, plan on spending a lot of time with one mountain because that's probably what you're going to do. Yeah, I, I agreed. You're going to hit uh, some stuff that you didn't think you would hit, like like ledges yeah. or thick thick areas, blowdown, whatever. Um, You'll hit that and then you'll be there for, could be hours, you know. Exactly. Ages. And then it starts getting dark and you start thinking, oh boy, I definitely am in over my head and I got to think about an exit strategy. So yeah, bushwhacks, I would say at least plan on spending twice as much time as you would on a regular trailed hike if yep. you're doing a bushwhack approach. All right. So James, I, I've recently seen you've done a lot of what they call blue lining. Is that is that a new goal? Yes. I uh, st Since uh, starting, what I call blue, blue lining is a term I came up with for following a drainage route that takes me close to or right up to a Catskill summit. Uh, most of the time, trail guides, uh, bloggers, 
and other hikers will recommend in particular in the Catskills that you don't use a drainage as your ascent. You get on a ridge and you follow that up a shoulder. Drainages are filled with your favorite vegetation, nettles, plus prickers, plus jumbled rocks, plus uh, brittle breaking rocks that can come down on you or somebody or wood. But Stash, they're also some of the most exotic beauty like you and I found down in uh, Kill Clove. There's that beauty is all over the place in the Catskills. It it makes me emotional that this uh, way of doing the the mountains has opened up so much unique and pristine beauty to me that I can't understand why more don't do it. I do understand and not wanting to go up the nasty routes that we go up, but uh, they're, the payoff is immense. Yeah. The, yeah. A, a flume that I found in the upper part of the Never Sink, uh, heading towards Slide and a, a Blue Line route, or Deer Shanty Brook, uh, running into these cascading waterfalls. Uh, just amazing. So, yeah, the, uh, the Blue Lining is something I would like to do with all the peaks. I, done most of the 3500 via blue line but there are some there are many blue lines that i haven't followed up to those same peaks I did, there's different ways of doing slide or cheryl or lone or balsam cap different creeks that i'd like to follow up and each one is a new adventure so it's like doing the peak for the first time when you go up this way oh yeah a lot of fun a lot of surprises yeah. down there and a lot of caution of course because you know slippery oh, yeah. you know, rock <laughs> yep I, I just jotted down some things uh loose rocks nettles breaking uh loose boulders that you might grab a hold of and you end up pulling them down on you uh waterfall getting wet feet walking yeah. up through uh these drainages and it's sandstone you would think it isn't slippery but it is very slippery when it's covered in moss and it's wet so when you're going up those blue lines uh the the drainage routes it's difficult and it's slow but man what a payoff a couple of them i did uh stash were uh something called stone cabin brook going up van wick oh yeah there are so many hidden waterfalls back on that route. I, I couldn't get to them all. Just uh, these beautiful cascades into these hidden rock, uh, almost like caves. Yeah, the chutes, like the chutes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that were back in there with these kind of like miniature blue holes. You know how the blue hole is down near Peekamoos. These all had their own little blue holes on, on this uh, stone cabin brook. The Never Sink, I found a nice flume on that. I didn't find it. Others, I'm sure, have been there. I came upon that flume. Uh, then over on the east side, on the escarpment, uh, a place called the Shinglekill Creek, Shinglekill, goes up the east face of Arizona and Blackhead Mountains. 
And Hurricane Irene washed out that brook. And now it's a huge, wide open slide. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was unique and a, a wonderful way to climb the mountain up this uh, slide of sand and rock and blow down, blown down trees and all this gorgeous pudding stone up there and uh, great views. Yeah. Untouched land. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So awesome. Blue line sounds really, really fun. I'll have to start trying that. I I still got to bushwhack my 3,500 like you did. So just take them one at a time. Enjoy. All I can say, don't be in a rush. Enjoy it. Yeah. Because that, that's the only way to do it and uh, really take a lot of photos and just enjoy your time up there. Give yourself a lot of time. And that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. So we're going to I have some crazy bushwhacking stories, but uh, I know you've got at least a couple, but uh, we'll talk about one of them. Remember when you, Sean and I did Slide Mountain, we did yes. the ridge. We called yes. that I think we called that Burroughs Ridge. I don't know what we called it, but. Um, it's where John Burroughs in his, in his uh, diary and his, in his essay wrote about going up uh, this one ridge that led up to Slime Mountain from the base of uh, the Woodland Creek. And yes. he said after precipice, after precipice, he finally reached it. And you know what? We were going up it and it seriously felt like he, like we were in his times. It was phenomenal. You know, it is, it is kind of like a, a step back in time because that route is so raw, so filled with spruce and blowdown and beach whips and uh, every type of hindrance that you could ever think of on any mountain. That yeah, we uh, had to have the same feeling that John Burroughs had, or any of the explorers in the mountains. Kind of like what they did back then, which is amazing that those guys were going up with very little research. It wasn't available back then. So they were doing it more or less for the first time. And that's what it feels like. And that's the thrill of the bushwhack. And I think you had that thrill too, that feeling of exploration that you're, you're going back to earlier times of I hate to say it again, but Daniel Boone and yeah. Davy Crockett, you're an explorer and that's what it feels like. Yeah. I was one of my favorite hikes. You know, we did that and uh, we, I don't know. It, it's just like you, like you said, it felt like a, a step back in time. Like I was sure. in his shoes, like we're going down the Creek and we're like, wow, this is the fork right here. And I remembered his book a little bit further from that. That's where he camped. He camped there and listened to the, the wood thrush and the Bicknell thrush. And he made dinner and stuff. And the next day they went up there and I read it and I was just like, this felt just like he, he wrote. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, is a thrill because you you're on your own more or less. I mean, we were together, but it's a different type of challenge than just following the same route. I mean, I'm not knocking that for those who like doing the established routes. That's terrific. Hey, they're getting out there. They're enjoying the fresh air. They're getting exercise. Fantastic. But mm-hmm. I kind of like that little added kick of uh, getting that feeling of going into something new where you don't know what's around the next corner, where you don't know what's in that little valley that we're about to 
climb up through to get up on the ridge. That's yeah. the fun part to me. Yeah, agreed. So uh, give us a little short, crazy bushwhack uh, story. <laughs> well, I was doing, uh, this is up in the Adirondacks. I was hiking with my buddy Spencer and uh, it was in the Old Forge region. There's a, 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 another mountain called Cascade with Spencer Morrissey. And we were in kind of a slushy snow condition and he lost his footing on a very steep hillside. He slid headfirst downhill into a brook <laughs> where his face plunged deep into the creek. Now, once I got over <laughs> the shock of seeing Spence is a big guy, you know, uh, face down in the creek, and he actually got off, and I saw that he was unhurt. I hate to say it, but I started laughing loudly <laughs> <laughs> and uh, guffawing. And uh, Spence wasn't exactly thrilled about that, but uh, <laughs> within 10 minutes, when we were hiking a little bit further on, wouldn't you know that I slid on a slushy, steep area and slid down into another drainage where I went head first into the creek. So there's there was a little bit of karma and yeah. that uh, hiking experience. So he didn't laugh, but I think he wanted to. Yeah, and he was a gentleman about it. And I learned one thing, Stash: never laugh at somebody else's uh, accidents or foibles. Because it might happen to you. Another one that happened with him. Well, maybe I shouldn't mention his name. It happened with a hiking uh, individual, a partner who fell backward onto a stick. And I call it the hole in one story because the stick went where the sun doesn't shine. Oh. And uh, that I didn't laugh at because the guy was in pain, but. Uh, it is one of the, he, he didn't suffer any lasting injuries, but it's one of those hiking stories that uh, kind of sticks with you for a while and makes you go, hmm, that could happen to me. It hasn't happened to me and I don't want it to happen <laughs> to me, but uh, it happened to him and I was there and I saw that. So, oh man, that sounds horrible. Oh, I, man. I, I, other times, I, a couple of things, a, a hiking partner left his keys in my car when we did a two-car traverse. So when we got to his car, instead of driving back, we had to walk on the road back about four miles. And it, it, the upshot of that story was on the road walk, it was in the Catskills, we uh, saw a, an old hidden schoolhouse. So that kind of made up for it. I got some pictures of an old abandoned schoolhouse. And, uh, you know, there's a good side to even the bad uh, occurrences that occasionally creep up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah we uh, Speaking of when somebody fell over, John and I went on an, on an expedition on Slide Mountain to look for a big, massive plane crash. Um, we went with Ralph Weindack, Joe Ferry. Sure. So we're on the, the steepest, the, the slide part of slide. And, you know, it's, it's, we're side hill the whole time. And John is just falling down one after another. Yeah, <laughs> this, sure. This one time he falls down and just tumbles. And like, I'm just like, kind of like running after him. And when he stops, he gets up and just starts laughing. And we both start laughing. <laughs> it's just like, well, it's like, better to laugh than that. If they don't get up and laugh, then there might be something wrong. 
Yeah. So that was, that was one of the, the funny moments. And like, but right after that, uh, he was having a bad night or day and I thought we were going to have to get him out of there by search and rescue. So <laughs> it was one oh, of those times. Boy. Yeah. Well, you've had experience with that. So you guys got out. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we got, it was basically, we, we met at the same spot. We started going up with Woodland Valley from slide and, uh, we still had that, that long walk out and, uh, he was not having it. He looked like, you know, he looked like almost dead. He was walking like a zombie. So it was pretty funny. We, we have a term for that, uh, especially in the Adirondacks, those long 16 mile days, they call them death marches because you're yep. basically in a trance and your way out. Nobody's talking. It's just plot, <laughs> plot, tramp tramp on and on and on again until at last you get to see where the the cars are parked again and you thank the lord above that uh, you you got to the end of yet another long hike it's probably how you guys felt oh yeah oh yeah it's it's a one thing i love with the catskills is when you start hearing some russian water or some cars yes you're you're at the you're at the bottom of the that's what's great about the cats you get out of your car and you're going uphill not like the adirondacks where you have to walk six miles just to get to the base of the mountain but it's also sometimes it's dangerous in the catskills when you come out late at night and you have that steep drop down to the parking area where you left your car i've come out on mountains where i am looking down off a cliff and i can see the roof of my car you know 100 feet below me and no i got to get down there that this can be tough yeah coming out that way definitely um so uh have you had like uh you can give us an example here and there of like any very were those your scary experiences when spencer went down into the the water or do you have like a, a specific scary experience you know that was i shouldn't have laughed at him but that, that was more of a funny experience the scarier experiences uh coupling the cat skills uh an irish mountain what it was it's one of the hundred highest had secured permission to go up and it was a winter day and we'd hit on and off uh, snow squalls. When I got up to the summit, a full raging snow squall had hit. I didn't have my GPS. I was going uh, by strictly sense of feel. I had the map and the compass. They were in my backpack. I ended up coming down the wrong side and uh, down toward Route 30, which is extremely steep. If you've uh, negotiated Irish Mountain. There's a steep drop at the end, which is almost undoable. And I got down to that point and thought, this, this isn't right. So I reclimbed the mountain, oh. got back up to the summit, got the uh, compass out and the map and found my way down through the snow squall. And eventually the snow squall ended and it was an easy hike back to uh, where the owner as his home and where we started, where I started from. So I, you know, I had a happy ending on Kilburn mountain up in the Adirondacks. Uh, again, it was a map and compass error. I uh, veered a little bit off my compass bearing and came out uh, well away off of Kilburn, which is one of the hundred highest peaks. And I was aiming to hit a very narrow ridge and I missed it and I ended up dropping into what I call half swamp 
have spruce whack. One foot was in the water and the other foot was in this impenetrable spruce thicket. I and it was getting dark, put on the headlamp. And if you've ever bushwhacked by headlamp, that's a whole different experience. Every shadow looks like a creature. Yep. It looks like a monster jumping out. I had to yelp out a couple of times oh, when you see a shadow jumping at you. Yeah. And finally, when I saw Route 86, when I uh, got back to the roadway, I got down to the road and this group of young females uh, riding along Route 86, they see me in my stupid looking headlamp and they yell out, hiking geek. <laughs> and they're all laughing. And I, I practically was in tears of happiness myself. So I laughed right with them. Yes, I am a hiking geek. <laughs> when you come out at 10 o'clock at night, full dark, off a mountain, solo bushwhacking. So and the other one was the slide up slide mountain. I did it with a group uh, oh, with uh, John Fellows, Maddie Lonegren, oh, Mike Daly. Uh, Let's see, Johnny Witter. Did it with Ken Luby too, right? Yes. We did the, the slide, and that was Tim Tim Luby. I mentioned him because he actually got hurt on that. Uh, it was so steep at the section where the, the slide occurred back in the 1800s that uh, he was trying to pull himself up onto some rock and ended up pulling kind of a mini avalanche down on his leg and got a pretty good cut, which we wow. had first aid. John Sasso applied some first aid. But that was a scary ascent. That was, uh, for the Catskills, pretty much a, a vertical climb. Yeah. Good uh, hand holds and toe holds, but they, they were, uh, it was kind of touch and go going up that one. So getting lost in a couple of Adirondacks, uh, at least – temporarily lost those are the scarier stories but hey i'm still here yeah that's that slide the slide on slide we were you and sean and i were going to do it but it was just a little too icy and stuff or something we had yeah, it was a little too was, wet we i don't think we could have done it uh not uh being as steep as it was uh, you probably have to have rope if you did it in is a wintertime climb or uh webbing something to get up it's steep, steep uh, rock blocks of sandstone that are covered in moss. Yeah. And would be frozen on top of it. So it'd be awful. Definitely. We made awesome. it. We got up there. Yeah. That was a great adventure. I remember reading about that. Yeah. We had a great time. And uh, the thrill of a porch is like when we went up the, the slide on Cornell, uh, you, you guys. It was the thrill of getting up to the top. It just makes everything that came before it worthwhile. Agreed. So, um, of course, we we talked about your favorite Bushwhack, good old Graham. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it just it mostly because it's it's uh, forbidden fruit now. It lives on in my memory as my favorite Bushwhack because conditions were perfect. I was in an area I hadn't been before down in that deep gully between Graham and uh, Double Top. And all those fantastic views, it just, uh, that is going to live on as uh, my favorite bushwhack. 
it's a great place. I gotta admit, yeah. admit there's so many great places when you bushwhack that a lot of them are going to stay deep in your, your memories for a long time. Sure. So once again, everybody, um, map and compass always have that on you. I would say with, within your first couple bushwhacks, go with somebody who knows what they're doing. They can teach you easily, you know, research online. I, like I said, the best thing you could do is go with somebody who knows what they're doing and they can teach you. And it's, and it's a whole, whole different experience when someone can teach you and give you that. They, you see their confidence and uh, you can just be like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. So it's, it's been an honor, James, to have you on here. It's been an <laughs> honor to hike with you. Like, yeah, just, I, I hope we can again, brother. Oh, you, we will. I've got a, I've got a, a bunch of places, you know, plane crashes we got to go to. Yeah, um, I look forward to it. Yeah, I got uh after this, we'll talk about something I have a, I have an idea of. So, um, but thanks, James, for, for joining you're, me you're tonight. Entirely welcome. It was a lot of fun, Sash, going over some of the memories, especially that uh, Platicill clove hike that was just exotic and exciting and uh one of the most beautiful uh, adventures and scenery that i've ever had i I just want to leave you with a a thought that i hope and i I see sometimes some dissension among uh, the hiking community members we don't have to all walk in lockstep you got bushwhackos like me got catskill all trailers you got the hikers who go up for the patches. You got gritters. Let's just all respect each other. We we have we have joint interests in these mountains in trying to get Double Top and Graham back online. That we we need to be united in keeping our mountains wild and pristine and beautiful. And that's uh, all I can leave you with tonight. Amen. Amen. Uh, leave no trace. Another. Another big thing, leave no trace, respect each other, teach each other, uh, and we can all get along. We can all enjoy the mountains together. So well said, James. Um, thank you. I'd like, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Scenic Route Guiding. Thank you very much for sponsoring me. Hopefully we will have another sponsor sometime, but uh, thank the donors. Uh, appreciate it. It's really good. We should be, uh, the show should be hitting uh right now I, I'm, I'm saying everything else from here on out that's donated is going to be donated to a 501c3 so i'm looking forward to doing that um thank you everyone who's listening thanks everyone who listened to james and i tonight thank you Seth. yeah subscribe on any platform keep keep that spirit brother i know i'm having such a great time doing this it's it's great and i'm glad people can join me so i'm just i'm just great to have good friends in the catskills so um James, thanks for joining me and uh, you know, have you. a good night. You too.